Well, good to see everybody. Good to see you. We've been uh, away on vacation here uh, for just a bit, uh, me and my family out on the East Coast, and it is really good to be back with you. Moses was on the mountain with the Lord for 40 days and came back with his face glowing. And uh, so uh, just consider this to be my mosaic, my mosaic glow this morning. Uh, the scriptures say that uh, with the gray head there is wisdom, and I think the scriptures probably say somewhere that with a very white beard is doubly wisdom. So uh, just be encouraged today, your pastor has double wisdom uh, this morning. I'm sure I will uh, get rid of the double wisdom sometime soon, but I couldn't come back without actually showing you the mosaic glow. Uh, our sermon text this morning is in Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14, starting in verse, uh, we'll really start right at the end of verse 20. It really is good to see you. It is good to get away uh, and rest. There's a time to do that. The Lord Jesus uh, told his disciples after they were ministering, come away by yourselves for a while and rest. Uh, But it is to be a vacation and not a staycation. Uh, so you get back in the fray, and, and we're glad to be back with our church family today. We'll be in Acts 14 starting a little bit, we'll read in just a little bit here, starting at the end of verse 20. Let's pray as we get going here. Well, Father, for hundreds of years now, Christians, before opening the Scriptures, have asked that you would send illumination, that you would enlighten their hearts to actually comprehend the things they read in the scriptures and so we would just pause and do that now we would pray there according to psalm 43 that you lord now would send forth your light and your truth and you would let them lead us to your holy hill to your dwelling that we might commune with you this morning father we don't want to get stuck just in words and information we want to commune with the living god We trust you are here with us, and we just ask, Father, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would help us today to taste our God. We thank you for it, Lord. This is only something that you can do. And we trust that you will, Father, now, in the name of Jesus, amen. Well, I started preaching through Acts a few months ago. Uh, We then took a little break to do a series on the spiritual gifts, and we're now back uh, to finish the book of Acts. Just to remind you, Acts was written by a man named Luke, and Acts gives us the historical events that took place after the, res- or after the ascension of Jesus. Jesus came to this earth, he lived, died, he rose again to pay for sin, and Jesus then ascended back to heaven. And the book of Acts then covers the events after the ascension. Acts tells us how the gospel, how the good news message of Christ began to spread. Acts 1.8, Jesus, right before he ascended, he said this to his original disciples. He said, but you, disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And if you just leave that up there, that's what we then see played out here in the book of Acts. That is really the outline for the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit was poured out on the early Christians, on 
on the day of Pentecost, and those Christians then began to go out as witnesses, telling people about Jesus, starting there in Jerusalem where Jesus had been crucified. But then one Christian, Stephen, was killed there in Jerusalem, so the early Christians then scattered out as witnesses, sharing about Christ now in Judea and Samaria. And now where we are in the book, around chapter 14 here, the Christians have just recently begun to move out even further as witnesses for Christ toward the end of the earth, as Jesus said that they would do. And, and man, this, this gospel message about Christ, as it's been moving out away from Jerusalem, well, this gospel has been passing ethnic barriers. You know, at first in the book of Acts, right there in Jerusalem, it was just full-blooded Jews who were hearing about Christ and coming to faith in Christ. But then in Judea and Samaria, it was half-Jews who were hearing about and coming to faith in Christ. And now here in Acts 14, the gospel has just now begun to move into Gentile or non-Jewish areas. And the man who's now leading the charge, taking the gospel to the Gentiles, is a man named Paul. Back at the start of Acts, Paul was actually persecuting the Christian church, trying to destroy the church, but he has now been converted. He's now a follower of Christ. He is now leading the charge in taking the gospel into Gentile, non-Jewish territories. In Acts chapter 12, Paul, along with a man named Barnabas, they actually established a church in a Gentile, non-Jewish area in Antioch of Syria. And that church then in Antioch, that church then sent Paul and Barnabas out on a missionary journey. Paul here in Acts, he will actually go on three different missionary trips. And Paul is now here in Acts 14, he's now on his first missionary trip with Barnabas. I want to show you where they've been so far. Uh, Here's a map for you. In chapter 13, they left Antioch of Syria, right over here, lower right. They then went to the island of Cyprus in the Mediterranean Sea, and then sailed north to Asia Minor, which is up in modern-day Turkey. They landed there in Italia and then traveled about 100 miles north or so up the very rocky Taurus Mountains to a place called Antioch of Pisidia, a different Antioch than the one from which they'd been sent. They then went on to Iconium and then to Lystra, and they are just now reaching the town of Derby. That's where we are now in Acts. Let's go ahead and start reading Acts 14 at the end of verse 20. And on the next day, he, Paul, went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed." Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had now fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together there in Antioch of Syria, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith 
to the Gentiles, and they remained no little time with the Gentiles. So, there you go. Paul and Barnabas, now in Acts, have completed this first missionary journey. And this chapter, Acts chapter 14, is a critically important chapter here in this book. We see here in Acts chapter 14, we see very clearly how the kingdom of God spreads on this earth. You know, Jesus once said, when he was still on this earth, he said that the kingdom of God would spread on this earth like leaven, working through a lump of dough. The gospel would slowly work its way around the world. God would eventually raise up followers of Christ from every people group. The kingdom of God spreading on this earth like leaven. And we see here in this chapter exactly how the kingdom of God spreads. We see three things very clearly in this chapter, three things that we'll cover here today. How does God spread his kingdom here on this earth? Here it is up on the screen for you. Three things, evangelize, equip, and empower. Evangelize, equip, and empower. And the first thing we see here in this text, in this entire chapter, the first thing God does to spread his kingdom here evangelize. God stirs up his people to share Christ with those who have not yet heard. You know, Jesus, at the end of the book of Matthew, he, he said this to his original disciples, Matthew 28, 19, the Great Commission. Jesus said this, he said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. Go, disciples, share the good news about me and make new disciples, make new followers of me and baptize them or go and evangelize. And Paul and Barnabas, that's what they do here in this chapter, sharing about Christ at every single stop on this journey. When they were back on Cyprus, that island, they shared Christ and a very important man named Sergius Paulus came to become a Christian. Then in Antioch of Pisidia, they shared Christ with Gentiles, and many of them became Christians. Then in Iconium, I want you to look up at Acts 14.1, if you will. In Iconium, now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way, sharing Christ, that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. And then they moved to Lystra and Derbe. Look at the middle of verse 6. They fled to Lystra and Derby, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding country, and there they continued to preach the gospel, sharing about Christ with those who had never heard about the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. And here it is again in Derby, if you look at verse 21, when they had preached the gospel to that city, sharing Christ, and had made many disciples, many new followers of Christ, they returned then to Lystra. And it's just all through this chapter, evangelizing, sharing the gospel everywhere, making new disciples as Jesus had commanded them. Our English Bibles, when you read through this chapter, our English Bibles say that they preached Christ regularly. And that can be a little bit misleading. It doesn't mean that they always preach from a pulpit like this to lots and lots of people. The Greek word there is euangelizo. And it simply means that you bring or you announce 
the good news of Christ. So you might preach Christ from a pulpit like this to many people, or you might just whisper Christ to one person in a car or write about Christ to one person in an email. It simply means that you're sharing Christ somehow, euangelizo, from which we get the English word evangelize. And that right there is the first thing that God does to spread his kingdom on this earth. He simply stirs up his people. He gets them up out of their chairs. He gets them up out of their homes. He moves them out to share Christ with people who have never heard. Sharing the facts about Christ. Sharing that Jesus is God in human flesh. Sharing that Jesus Christ, he came, he lived, he died again to save sinners like me. And he also came to die in order to restore God's broken universe. And all you must do now in order to enter God's kingdom is repent and believe. You turn from your sin in repentance. You trust in Christ in faith. And you're forgiven by God. You're now a child of God forever. You're now a new disciple of Christ. And the kingdom of God spreads just a little bit more here on earth this earth through that evangelizing through that euangelizo and listen not everybody has the gift of evangelism some people do but that doesn't mean you're not supposed to evangelize some have the gift of evangelism but paul told timothy to do the work of evangelism timothy probably didn't have the gift but paul was stirring him up to do the work of evangelism something god has called all christians to take part in, and the kingdom of God spreads. And listen, we want to be a church that does that, that is very active in evangelism. Ed Stetzer says this, he says, Christianity is a missionary faith. And as a missionary faith, our role in part is to share the good news of Jesus Christ with those who've never heard. And we want to share the good news of Christ here in our church family. We want to share Christ in our homes, sharing Christ with our kids, or maybe other unbelieving family members, but also sharing Christ with friends, with with neighbors, Uh, working in our life groups to share Christ. That's one of the aims of our life groups. We want all of our life groups to have a missional engagement, to be engaging with the lost, the unbelievers, to, to hopefully be able to share Christ there. And I praise God, really, for what the Lord is doing in this church now. You know, in this area of evangelism, this church has grown a ton over the past nine years. I hear stories all the time now of God opening different doors for us and people in our church spreading gospel seeds, commending the name of Christ in a fallen world. It's a beautiful thing. And let's just keep going. By the grace of God, keep working at it, keep working together, keep praying that we might have opportunities, open doors to share Christ. You know, that's one reason we now have a church planning resident, Josh Williams and his wife, Lindsay. We want to train them up with a small team of people and send them out, Lord willing, into a new area around the Twin Cities. And one of the primary things they will aim to do, they will aim to evangelize. In that new area, we don't just want to create churches that are just gathering Christians. We want to plant churches that grow also through conversion, through evangelism. 
We're hoping to send Will and Sarah Myron to Ireland to share Christ, to evangelize with those who have never heard. That's one thing that God does to spread his kingdom on this earth. He simply stirs up his people and gives them opportunities to evangelize, to share Christ. And a second thing God does to spread his kingdom, point number two, equip. Equip. God makes new disciples through evangelism, and God then strengthens. He trains. He builds up those new disciples. He equips those new disciples. It's the second part of the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 19, here it is again. Jesus said, Go and make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Don't just convert them and leave them. Make a new disciple and now equip and strengthen and build that new disciple. And listen, Paul and Barnabas, man, they have just gone through this massive area evangelizing. In modern day Turkey, making new disciples, and they now backtrack back through that same area to equip these disciples. And I want you to notice a couple of things about Paul and Barnabas backtracking back through this area. First of all, this was not the shortest way back home for them. No, here's here's the map again. They're now there in Derby, And the shortest route for them to get back to Antioch of Syria is to continue east through Tarsus, which was Paul's hometown. But they don't do it. They backtrack back through all of those cities they had evangelized. And please listen to this. What these men are now doing by backtracking through these cities is absolutely crazy. Because they're heading here straight back into violence. Let me me show you what happened the first time they went through these cities. Antioch of Pisidia, the first time they got there, here's Acts 13.50. But the Jews stirred up persecution in Antioch of Pisidia against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. So they went to Iconium. Look up at Acts chapter 14 verse 5. Here's Iconium, when an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them in Iconium, they learned of it and they fled to Lystra. And let me show you what happened in Lystra if you look at Acts 14.9. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium to Lystra, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. A very violent stoning. So bad, they assumed he was dead. He wasn't. Lots of violence. This is not your basic short-term mission trip where you go and help build a church building and you have all the modern amenities somehow there and everything goes well. No, there was violence all along 
this root. Paul later wrote this to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.10. He said, you, Timothy, have followed my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra. And Paul and Barnabas now head straight back into that violence. And what does that show us? I think, it, I think one thing it shows us is the critical importance of that which they were going to do now. And what were they going to do? They were going to equip these new disciples. They were not going to bring them to Christ and leave them. They were bringing them to Christ and now against all odds, against hell itself, they're going into these cities to equip, to build up these new disciples. Look at verse 22. Here they go. They return to these cities, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Leave that up for a second. Three clear things we see there. One, Luke says that Paul and Barnabas now went back to these cities and strengthened the souls of these new disciples. And listen, you think of like um, sheep out in a field somewhere. You know, sheep when they're just born, baby lambs, some of the weakest creatures on this earth. I mean, baby lambs are really, really cute. They're not going to win a fight against anything. And Jesus repeatedly in the Bible calls Christians sheep, all of us, because we are all weak. But a baby Christian, a baby lamb, is incredibly weak. Doesn't know much yet, hasn't learned maybe how to stand easily devoured by wolves, by false teaching, desperately needs to be strengthened. And that's one aspect of equipping we see in this verse. And a second thing there, verse 22, having to do with equipping, Luke says Paul and Barnabas now encourage these new believers to continue in the faith. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Do not quit. Persist. Persevere in your faith. And, and why do they encourage this perseverance? Because Christians can be tempted at times to quit. Tempted sorely to leave Christ and, and walk when the going gets tough. And the going will get tough. It will. That's the third thing Paul and Barnabas do there in this equipping, equipping verse 22. They tell these new disciples that it is through many tribulations that we enter the kingdom of God. You can just picture them talking to these disciples. We're talking to you today. Christians, those of you who now trust in Christ, before we enter heaven, at the end of our lives, we must first pass through pain, sorrow, suffering in this life. Tremendous hardship maybe at times for you. You may be in that today. Christian right now, tremendous hardship and you're faced with all the confusion, all the doubt that Levi was talking about. Why, Lord, have you rejected me? 
He hasn't if you're in Christ, but it feels like it. And Paul and Barnabas, listen. They know now that that is the path for Christians. They have just suffered firsthand, tremendously, in these cities. And they know that that's the path for all believers to some degree. And they don't want these young disciples to give up and think Christianity is false just because they had suffered. They want them to know, no, that's the path for Christians, is suffering. Here's the rest of what Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.10. He said, You, Timothy, have followed my persecution and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and in Lystra. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, will be persecuted. All. And, and Paul and Barnabas now go back through these cities and they teach these new disciples right up front here in their Christian lives that they will suffer. And you, you just pause and think about that. Do you realize that many new Christians today are never told that? Many new Christians today, somebody just came to them and said, hey, just trust in Christ and everything will be great for you, man. You'll be healthy, you'll be wealthy, you'll have a great life here on this earth. And then when they instantly start to suffer because they're connected to Christ, they're very tempted to walk away. But here's the thing, God does not sugarcoat things for new believers. God wants you to know right up front that the Christian life will be hard. Jesus several times said, before you make a decision to follow him, count the cost. I told you before of Richard Wormbrand. Richard Wormbrand, who after suffering for years in a Romanian prison, when he was released, he taught a confirmation class at his church for young boys and girls. And before Richard Wormbrand would confirm the young boys and girls as Christians, he would take them to the zoo, to the lion cage, and he said this, your forefathers were thrown before such beasts for their faith. You will suffer too. Decide here and now if you wish to pledge allegiance to Christ. And Richard Wormbrand said, quote, they had tears in their eyes when they said yes to Christ. Telling them right up front they would suffer. God will manage your expectations. He will manage your expectations for what will happen in this life before you receive the crown of glory in the next life you receive the cross of suffering in this life. That is the Christian journey. And all, you know, all of this stuff that, that Luke mentioned in that verse, verse 22, you know, all these things, all three of them, strengthening the souls of these new disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and preparing them for hardship, all of that falls under this big heading called equipping. Building up, training these new disciples. And we see the importance of equipping and the fact that Paul and Barnabas were willing to head into violence in order to do it. 
It's just critically important to equip, to train up, to teach, to strengthen, build up all disciples. And we want to do that here in our church. We don't just want to evangelize. We want to see all believers equipped. That's all of us, including myself. None of us has graduated from grace. We all still need work. And we want to see all believers equipped to do the work of the ministry, as Ephesians 4 says. We we don't want to raise people up just to be passive consumers. We want to raise people up to do the work of the ministry. We want to equip our kids when they come to faith. We want to teach them what it means. We want to strengthen their souls, encourage them to continue, tell them they will suffer in the Christian life. Equipping is one of the primary goals of our life groups. Our life groups are designed to be a place where we can all equip one another, strengthen one another, encourage one another. You know how that happens? Through conflict. You have conflict with one another. You walk through it, you grow. You're stronger. That's our life groups. We've also started a leadership development track that is called Equip. Equipping people to lead in the local church. Or that's what we hope to do with Josh Williams, church planting resident. We want to train Josh and Lindsay. We want to train their entire church planting team over the next couple of years, Lord willing, to do the work of the ministry in a new area. And and that's point two. How does God spread his kingdom here on this earth? One, evangelize. Two, equip. And the final thing here, final way that God spreads his kingdom, point number three, empower. As Christians are being equipped, they're being trained, they're being raised up, well, God then begins to empower them. God then begins to allow those Christians to do what he's equipped them to do. You know, I know some of you have teenagers, uh, and your teenagers, um, Lord forbid, will be reaching driving age very, very soon. Uh, And I know that you'll do everything you can to equip your teenager to drive uh, really well, hopefully. Uh, I know you will have them in the parking lot, uh, letting them practice your hands on the wheel the entire time. Uh, You may put them through driver's ed. Who knows what all you will do. Parents, let me say this to you. At some point along the line, as terrified as you might be, you will just have to give them the keys and let them drive all alone. Hand them the keys. You pray. Here you go. It's time. That will teach you how to pray. We have a son who's going to be 15 soon talking about driver's ed. I've already begun to pray. You let go of the reins. You empower, you actually allow your child to do what he or she has been equipped to do. And that's what Paul and Barnabas now do with these new disciples they've raised. They've evangelized and made new disciples. They've gone back through and they've equipped these disciples. And now they empower them. They give them the keys and they let them do what they've been equipped to do. If you look at verse 23, and when, going back through these cities, when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed, and Paul and Barnabas then left. 
That word elder in the Bible, it is interchangeable with the word pastor or overseer. An elder is a pastor, is an overseer. That is the same person we call our elders, pastors here, or overseers. It's a shepherd in a local church. And I want you to notice there in that verse that Paul and Barnabas now appoint elders plural in every church. You know, some churches today will have maybe just one elder or kind of one pastor, kind of like a CEO. It's okay. We believe, however, that the, the biblical pattern would be elders plural in every single local church. John Stott, he says this, he says, the familiar modern pattern of one pastor, one church was simply unknown. Instead, there was a pastoral team. And we believe a plurality is much safer. You've heard the phrase, there's safety in numbers. There's safety when you have a number of elders. It's hard for you to go off as a maverick and do just anything you want. When you got a bunch of other people on there looking at you like, "Uh uh-uh, you're not doing that. Derek Thomas, he says this. He says, there is greater safety in plurality. Too many churches in our own time are subject to the whims of an individual. I keep trying to get my fellow elders to call me Pope. They've not yet done it, but I'm working on, I'm trying to get that. So we can all follow my whims. Um, Plurality, and that's what they do here. And listen, after Paul and Barnabas, they appoint multiple elders in all of these churches along the way. They leave. (laughs) They empower these new elders to shepherd. They give the keys to the disciples in the church, and they head down the road. And, you know, that seems a little crazy if you just stop and, and think about that. These, these new elders, these new elders, many of these new elders are probably fairly young in their faith. Now, they wouldn't have been new converts because Paul's qualifications for elders elsewhere, he says elders should not be new converts. They weren't new converts. But they may have been converted within the last couple of years or so. They had probably been evangelized by Paul and Barnabas, brought to Christ. They'd been equipped now by Paul and Barnabas, maybe over a several-year period, but still fairly recent, I'd imagine, by our standards. And Paul and Barnabas appoint them now as elders. And the other believers in these local churches were also probably fairly new believers. But Paul and Barnabas now empower them. You don't have to wait, believers, till the end of your lives. You know, we get this mindset sometimes that, well, I'm not, 20 years I'll be equipped to do something. No, it's like now. <laughs> As you're being equipped, God's like, yep, here's the keys, and now is the time. And they empower them, and, and they leave. You know, Paul and Barnabas, they were not, as we might say, helicopter parents. It's kind of hovering over their kids, over, over these new churches, micromanaging, never allowing them to do anything. If you never allow people to do anything, they stay immature. If you never allow your children to do anything, they will be immature when they leave your house. At some point, you have to let go. But here's the thing. When Paul and Barnabas, when, when, when they do leave these churches and head on down the road, They don't leave these churches alone. Did you catch 
what Luke said, if you look again at verse 23. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord. In whom these new disciples had believed. Committed them to the Lord. You know, Jesus promised repeatedly in the Bible that with all of his people on this planet, he would forever be with them. Emmanuel, God with us. Wherever there's a true faith in Christ, well, Jesus Christ in the person of the Holy Spirit lives in that heart. Jesus is with us here today. He's here. And Paul and Barnabas, they know here that Jesus, now living in the hearts of these young disciples, well, Jesus is more than able to care for these churches, to preserve these churches, to guide them, govern them, direct them. They commit these churches to the Lord and leave. And I bet they prayed as they went down the road, oh God, please help these churches. But they empowered them. To do what God had called them to do. They empowered them to do the work of the ministry in their own town. John Stott says this. He says this right here. It rests ultimately on the conviction that the church belongs to God. And that he can be trusted to look after his own people. And Paul and Barnabas now return to their sending church in Antioch of Syria. You know how when we send missionaries out, we've sent Tim and Maria Stoddahar out, we're hopefully going to send Will and Sarah Myron out to Ireland. Well, our missionaries will usually come back after a time and they will give a missions report to their sending church here. It's usually in this gym or it's up in the cafeteria with, with a lunch or something. And Paul and Barnabas now give a missions report to their sending church. That's what they're doing. If you look at verse 27, and when they arrived and gathered the church together there in Antioch of Syria, they declared all that God had done with them and how He had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. They give a missions report. May have had Jimmy Johns there. Everybody would have appreciated that. But you look at the last part of that sentence right there. It's a very significant statement in the book of Acts. They reported how God had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. To non-Jews. The gospel now crossing here in Acts, that final ethnic barrier. He is a Jesus for all people. He's not just for Jews or half-Jews, but also Gentiles, non-Jews. It doesn't matter who you are. Jew or Gentile, German, Indian, doesn't matter. God has opened a door of faith to you. You trust in Christ, small, simple, childlike faith. You're in through that door into the kingdom of God. And we just see clearly in the last part of this text, we see the third thing that God does to spread His kingdom on this earth. People are first evangelized, new disciples made. They are then equipped or trained in a local church. And they are then empowered. They're handed the keys and allowed to do the ministry that God has called them to do. And we want to empower believers in our church right here. We don't want to just evangelize or equip. We want to see Christians empowered to do the work of the ministry. That's part of what a life group is intended to be. You being empowered to do the work of the ministry, equipping other believers in, in that life group. 
And listen, all those who are being equipped here in, in, in our service on Sunday morning or, or in our Sunday classes or in our life groups or in our equipped leadership track, whatever God is calling you to do in this life, your God-given vocation, do you realize your vocation is not your job at work? Your vocation primarily comes from the Latin vocare, I believe, though I never took Latin. Somebody can correct me later on that. Vocation, it's your god given calling and you have a god-given calling and whatever your god-given calling is your vocation here in this church we want to help you discern that we want to help you be trained to do that and at some point we want to empower you to do it now you might have to wait a little bit some people want to grab power right off the bat and if you don't give them power they're angry and they'll go to the next church and you know what ha- what we say when that happens bye It's a power grab, and it shows something in your heart that's not dealt with yet. And God will sit you on the sidelines until you're humble enough to wait for authority. And then God will give it, and God will empower you because now you can be entrusted with it. We want to empower people. We want to give you the space, the responsibility. We want to allow you to do what God is calling you to do. Have you realized that you're starting to see more and more people up front here on a Sunday morning? in the welcome or in the Lord's Supper or, or with testimonies, that's, that's one way we're looking to empower people. We're letting people step into the gifts and the callings that they have. You're going to start seeing people from our own church step up here and preach on occasion. Not your elders, but other people's. Our developing preachers in our midst will stand up and, and preach. It's one of our ways of empowering the people that are being equipped here in our church. Or maybe you'll be empowered to lead a life group or empowered to minister to women here in our church. Or maybe you'll be empowered to counsel people here in, in some way. Or you empowered to teach a class, kids or adults, or empowered eventually to be an elder or a deacon here in this church. Or maybe you'll be empowered to be part of the church planning team with Josh and, and Lindsay Williams. We want to equip that team. Eventually, Lord willing, send them out, empower them. Fast and pray and commit them to the Lord. There you go. You got this by the grace of God. And let them do what God has called them to do, which is plant a church. I do want you to notice this here in this text. Do you notice the planting of churches here in this text? Do you notice that's what Paul and Barnabas are doing all through this area? God's mission strategy for reaching the world with the gospel of Christ is through the planting of local churches. You know what we see all through the book of Acts? (laughs) We basically see the three points of this sermon over and over and over again. Christians go into new areas and they evangelize. They make disciples. Those disciples are then equipped. They're built up. And then they're empowered. A new church is started. And what does that new church do then? Well, they evangelize. They equip and empower over and over and over again again until the kingdom of God like leaven has spread around the globe. There's a man, David Hesselgrave. He noticed this pattern in the book of Acts and he put together this diagram. This is God's mission strategy to spread his kingdom around the globe. Evangelize, equip, empower, and on and on and on it goes. Repeated throughout the book of Acts. It's been repeated a zillion times since the book of Acts. And that right there is what God is doing 
all over the globe. That's what God is doing here in our church. And as we close here today, let me say this. If you are a Christian here, you're trusting in Christ today by faith. Let me encourage you to find your place in that. To find your, your, your place. Let God show you your place so that you can take an active part to some degree in, in all of those things. And just ask God to show you. He will. He, he loves you. Find your place here in this church where you can be active in evangelism. Sharing Christ with your own kids in the home or helping to teach kids on Sunday morning. Working with Christians in a life group to share Christ outside of, of your home. It's not going to be easy. Evangelism is never easy. It wasn't easy for Paul and Barnabas And it won't be for us. The second we look to take Christ out of our homes, we will face pain, resistance, conflict. But just keep going. Don't quit. And be equipped here in this church. Take an active role in this church. We're trying to do things to equip. Take an active role to be equipped in in this church, in our Sunday service, but also in our classes or in our life group, whatever. And when the time is right, God will empower you. He will entrust you to do more and more of the work of the ministry, whatever that might look like for you. Last thing I'll just say, we need to be careful with this text. Because I don't know if you noticed, this text has a lot to do with doing. Think of the three points of this sermon. Evangelize, equip, empower. It is all doing. And there is doing in the Christian life. There is. You will be most fulfilled when you find your place in an active doing. But here's the thing. As a Christian, you are not created primarily to be a doer. You were created primarily to be a beer. That you would be with God. That you would be with Christ. That you would drink deeply from the living water of Christ every day. That you'd be in communion with God. That you'd be tasting Him. Your heart would be opened up more and more to the love of God. That you would learn just to be with God. He doesn't love you because you do. He just loves you if you're in Christ. You weren't created to be a human doing. You were created to be a human being. So learn to be first. With God every day of your life. And let your doing for God then naturally flow out of your being with God. And when you get worn out doing, he'll tell you to get out for a while and rest. And learn again just to be in order that you might do. May God help us to find our place. Evangelize, equip, empower. And the kingdom of God spreads. Father, we bless your holy name today. We thank you for your grace upon us in Christ. We thank you for your scriptures. We do see this pattern in scripture. We see it all over the world. We know Jesus. Your heart is for the nations to advance the good news out to those who've not heard. We know it is. And then to build up believers and empower so that they could do the work of the ministry. But we know first and foremost, Jesus, you've called us to be. You've called us, John 15, to abide in you. We know that abiding, it involves doing. But oh Lord, don't let us get the cart before the horse here. Father, remind us daily to be, to abide like a little branch in the side of a vine, just sucking on sap. 
Help us to do that, to be, to taste you, Lord God, every day. And may our doing then flow out of that being for your glory and our good. We thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen.